It would be pretty damn incredible to be one of the founding members of one of the most important bands of all time, but it would be something completely different to be in two of them. And we're not just talking about any old band. We're talking about the legendary band Joy Division and the band that they would become following the suicide death of their lead singer, Ian Curtis, 40 years ago, New Order. These weren't just minor one-hit wonders. These were two bands that, quite frankly, were and continue to be without equal. Henry Rollins once said of Joy Division, when they finally write the real book on rock and roll, when the dust all settles and the truth is finally told, when they get it right, one of the bands at the top of the mountain with all of your David Bowies and Rolling Stones will be Joy Division because they are easily as great as any band that has ever existed. Now, that's a strong statement, but it also happens to be true. And when they became New Order, they changed music even more. And the value of New Order's music, especially in the 1980s, is practically immeasurable. And that's why I'm excited to talk to one of the founding members of both Joy Division and New Order, Peter Hook, on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Bexy's musical podcast. So the Joy Division story starts in 1976 at the very first show in Manchester, England by the Sex Pistols. There are only 50 people at that show that night, but there are about 10,000 others who claim to have been there, too. But Peter Hook and Bernard Sumner were, in fact, in attendance that night. And the very next day, they started a band. At first, they were called Warsaw. And with their drummer Stephen Morris and lead singer Ian Curtis, they eventually changed their name to Joy Division. In 1979, Joy Division released their masterpiece debut album, Unknown Pleasures. It's a stunningly important record. However, just two months before the release of their follow-up record, and just before they would go on their first tour of the United States, Ian Curtis committed suicide at the age of 23. For most bands, that would have been enough to shut the door on a brilliant career. Instead, Peter, Bernard, and Stephen carried on as New Order, releasing a string of records and singles that would go on to become the most important releases for the next decade. Albums like Power, Corruption, and Lies, Low Life, Technique, with singles like Blue Monday, Bizarre Love Triangle, True Faith, and The Perfect Kiss. This was a catalog that changed music. Again, this is my conversation with Peter Hook on Baxi's Musical Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time out today, and I know, uh, like everybody else, you're probably very, very busy with other stuff. Don't worry, I am not busy. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly. I have been busy uh, in the last... I'd say 42 hours trying to cram in your first two books, uh, unknown, oh. unknown, unknown pleasures and, uh, and substance. And what I realize is you, you can't buzz through a book that's 725 pages long. Well, that's one of the reasons why I did it, but, um, yes, yes, that, <laughs> that is very true. The unknown pleasures book I thought was really awesome. And I think, you know, I heard you have mentioned this before and, and it, and, does occur to me too that it's you know it's one thing to be in one of the considered to be one of the greatest bands of all time and produce two albums that are considered to be masterpieces but it's another thing to have done it twice in your career with new order i think that's that's remarkable i mean really who gets an opportunity to do that <laughs> i mean 
Well, I don't recommend every young band singer um, killing themselves so that you get an opportunity to do that, I'm afraid. No. Um, it was forced upon us, of course, um, and it was, it was quite an interesting choice, really, what that it came down to once when Ian um, left us, shall we say. Um, it was either go back to work for the man, if you like, or carry on. And I think the thing is, is that the three of us, um, well, say we're not, we're not very close now, but we were very close then. And I think that we, there was a certain amount of security we felt, even though Ian was gone, in an establishment of the people around us. Yeah, it was a good family group, shall we say. And maybe for some insane reason, we thought that we could carry on. Now, carrying on as Joy Division was out of the question. We made a deal very early on in Joy Division with each other that if any member left <clears throat> for any reason, then Joy Division would finish. It was quite a noble gesture. We, we did actually make the same gesture in New Order, but um, certain people seem to have forgotten. <laughs> the thing is, is that being faced with going back to work, which we'd only just left, to be honest. We'd literally just gone professional about six months before, and the Buzzcocks tour was the first professional act that we did, if you like. And the thing was is that we were watching the group get more sex successful and, and enjoying that aspect of all your hard work coming to fruition. And whilst Joy Division finished in us, I think I can say we all felt the same thing. We felt that we wanted to carry on making music. If you think about the nucleus of Joy Division, you know, you if you think of Ian as the icing on the cake and the candles, etc., um, the nucleus was still there between Barney, Steve and I. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't difficult to carry on because the three of us had always written all the music. So basically, very quickly, we just ended up with loads of music with no vocals. And then doing the vocals became another challenge, um, which we, you know, managed to surmount. So, yeah, I mean, it was a gradual process getting anywhere near back to where we were with the Joy Division. But we did it. And I think in many ways, from a commercial point of view, um, New Order was, was uh, certainly in the 80s, was much more successful than Joy Division. I, I think what people you know, forget is this, in spite of its legendary status now, in Joy Division, you guys were really just getting started before it ended with the death of, of Ian Curtis. You guys were about to go on a U.S. tour. I mean, you had you yeah. produced two albums. At, at what point do you guys start to understand the impact that certainly unknown pleasures must have had on people, but the, but the but the entire catalog of those of those two records was it was it immediate as you were going on, or did it take some time to realize how important people were were viewing this music? It took a long, long time because basically, what happened was we weren't interested in Joy Division. Part of our safety mechanism, and I think part of the way that we dealt with the grief, was to, you know, put Joy Division in a box, stick it in the back of the uh, wardrobe, and absolutely, completely forget about it and have nothing to do with it. And that was what got us through, you know, that awful period. 
I mean, it seems crazy now. I, I honestly can't imagine where our heads were at. But I suppose it's being young, thinking that everything's going to be snatched off you unless you, um, you know, go for it. I mean, really, as an old man looking back, we could have had six months off, we could have had a year off, it wouldn't have made much difference. Yeah. But we chose to deal with the grief in a different way. So really, the success of Joy Division was a mystery to us for a long time. Uh, and then it was um, a surprise. <laughs> As it caught up, it became a surprise. We were like, that. oh, wow, why? That, that's odd. I mean, we, we really did throw ourselves into New Order, lock, stock and barrel. Only when London Records took over the um, the record contract after Factory Records went bankrupt that they started to um, work on the Joy Division records because they signed both bands at the same time. It's you you'd mention so, about your your youth. I mean, you were twenty four at uh, at the time, and I think you, Stephen was maybe like a year younger or or you know whatever it was. You talk about you know being an older man and in hindsight, and you know, and certainly you've had. You know, your issues with depression, like you know, many of us had or have in, in our lives, and and it's just if you were to go back and and try to you know correct the mistakes you had made, would it have just have been about more time in between, or would have would it have been something else? Whether it's you know reaching out to Ian when his health was starting to de- decline, or 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 would it have been something else? Well. Mm, that's an interesting question because the simple reason is is that if you did change something, you wouldn't be the person you are today. Ian, we didn't have to reach out to Ian. Our our relationship with him was very, very close. And if anything, it was probably the closeness that didn't enable us to see how much he was suffering. We were with him all the time, and he made a great effort to let us know that he was okay, he was fine, and to stop worrying. And the contradiction there was was the things he was doing. But basically, I think we wanted to be reassured by him and to be, um, I suppose, in a funny way, conned. <laughs> he conned <laughs> us. He, he made us believe he was okay. You know, every time he did something and we'd question him about it, he'd go, don't worry, I'm fine. I was pissed. Yeah. let's get on with it, and all this lot. And, you know, your mind was just, oh, you just didn't know what to think or what to do. And I must admit, there was much older people and much more um, skilled people, shall we say, in the ways of the world and in psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, etc. And they couldn't help him either. It was very, very difficult that he, in that in that aspect, he was his own worst enemy because he always wanted you to be happy. I think there's Sorry. an inherent uh, you, you, <sighs> denial that people go through who are depressed and who are around people who are depressed, where maybe they don't want to admit that things are as bad as they are, or maybe they don't want anyone to judge them because... Yeah, they... I mean, it's a double denial, isn't yeah. it? It's almost if you're a drug addict. You know, the, you spend most of your time convincing the people who love you that you aren't a drug addict, you know, and you're okay and you're going to get rid of this monkey on your back and you're going to be able to pull yourself together and all that, which is the thing that most people who are close to you probably want to hear. So it's an it's a spiral, isn't it, in, in that aspect? I mean, 
Yeah, you know, a lot of the time now you feel foolish um, for even believing him for one moment. That's the problem with it. But again, that's survivor's guilt. That's something that you'll always carry around with you because of what happened. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to forget as well because you're constantly um, reminded of it. Right. I mean, Closer has just been re-released and uh, the record company made a wonderful uh, gesture to phone me up and tell me it was number one again. Um, and I was like... Yeah, you know, <laughs> I suppose I've been unfortunate, really, because I can't really celebrate anything to do with Joy Division because of what happened to Ian. Right. Because it doesn't feel right. Uh, and I also can't really celebrate anything to do with New Order because of the awful way that it ended and the relationship between the members. So it's very difficult for me. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, I, I obviously enjoy, you know, the other parts of it, the success in other <laughs> in other means. But, yeah, you know, when Blue Monday was was voted the most um, used sync track, you know, most adverts, films um, in in the world, I think it was. Well, you know, I I was in college in the uh, the 80s, and there was no escaping New Order's music. And more importantly, there was no no escaping the impact it was having on, on other bands. In a way, you could really make a very good argument that that new order's impact was maybe as much if not more so than joy, joy division even though they may not get the the same type of praise you could go through a laundry list of bands that tried to make yeah, that, that sound and i mean and, it was the yeah. template that we um very cleverly came up with actually which was the combination of real instruments and synthesized instruments which, if you think about it now, is more or less every group that doesn't sound like Joy Division. True. You know, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing, amazing turn of luck. And I suppose it shows, that you know, a great skill in what you're doing because songwriting is, is quite an un... Um, it, it's, people don't really look into songwriting and analyze it, you know, as a talent. Uh, as much as they should probably, because it's a very rare talent, songwriting. You know, there aren't many people that that can do it. There's a lot more musicians, shall we say, than songwriters. To me, me it's always the magical part of music. Someone that... Yeah, the chemistry. The chemistry between people. And, you know, I love the chemistry of a group. You know, I think that that's what gave New Order, and in my opinion... New Order's music changed when that chemistry came became more about writing with a computer than writing with the group. Because I always felt that the three of us, me, Barney, and Steve, were such a wonderful musical three-piece that that's what we should be concentrating on, not putting the drums on the computer and putting the bass on the computer. You know, I mean... It, it, Sometimes you felt a bit like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Going, can't we just play? You know, and it, it's really weird. It does make you wonder what would have happened if, say, Jimi Hendrix or Cream would have been, you know, 15 years later. It's hard to imagine a guy like Hendrix playing to a click track or or, well, or anybody like that. I mean, it's, it, what they did was just like 
just this natural in the moment type of thing. And, and you're, you're absolutely yeah, right. The chemistry yeah. of the, 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 the people around them and feeding off that ups and downs. You know, a click track never gives you those wonderful ups and downs that you hear in Derek and the Dominoes, Cream or Joy Division, for instance. You know, I mean, it's, it's impossible to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about music and also, one of the great things, the only great thing about COVID is, is that people have actually gone back to music and used it as for much solace in a very difficult period. You know, I have. I've started listening to all the records I used to listen to when I was 14, 15. <laughs> you know, that wonderful teenage period that I had. Uh, it helps me get through this very difficult time. And music has actually become the most important thing. The irony is, is, is that you cannot play it because of the, the, um, the, you know, the mass gathering aspect. So, and yeah, everybody's listening to it. So I have to ask you, what, what have you been listening to in, during, uh, during the COVID period? Well, it's, it's quite interesting, actually. I went, I went through uh, Eno, John oh, yeah. Cale, Nico. <laughs> I went through all that type of music. And then I went on to uh, the blues, funnily enough. I heard a Robert Johnson record that I, I, I really liked. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, this would be an interesting thing to explore. So I went through all the blues aspect. And then I went through prog rock, would you believe? Because that was one of my um, early um, loves, you know, old yes, um, Genesis, old Genesis, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So it's quite interesting, the, the phases. And um, my, my latest one was um, Nick Cave. Screaming Trees, because it, I'm reading Mark Lanigan's biography. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Brian Eno. I literally just got uh, a, a, a CD copy of Another Green World by Brian Eno, which I love, and I haven't uh, I haven't owned my own copy of that in, in like years. So it was kind of funny that, that I guess you and I well, yeah, kind of I mean, tapped you know, on some other like things. When you get to taking Tiger Mountain, yeah, and all those LPs that, he, that he, uh, Eno made very early on, yeah. Some of them are absolutely fantastic. I'll tell you the one I'm desperately trying to find, which I cannot find on Spotify or anything, is the one he did with the Portsmouth Symphonia. Yeah. That, do you remember that one? I and do. And that was a wild record. I do. And, 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 and unfortunately, there's a, there's a lot of... The, the problem with, with Spotify is they have some gems, but are missing some other ones. And the ones that they're missing are the ones that you want the most. So... Well, I suppose that's um, something to keep us going, isn't it, mate? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Track that down, yeah. that Portsmouth Symphony record, because I can't remember which LP it was. I, I do want to ask that's you about uh, about New Order and 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 about uh, yeah, you know, the last the last days of it for you, because to me it's a very interesting story, and I think you know for a lot of fans they they may be you know confused about what the the issues were, and I think a lot of fans think you know you know here are two guys they've they've known each other since they were teenagers. Why can't they put it aside? I think like a lot of different relationships. I mean, you guys have, I mean, really have been, had a professional, professional relationship for almost 45 years. There are yeah. relationships that have an expiration date. And for whatever reason, it, you know, you, you grow, your, your interests change, uh, the, you know, resentments grow, you just different focuses. Is that what wound up happening between you and, and, and Bernie Sumner, or was it 
what what was it? Because I I we're, I think it's very hard for people to really wrap their hands around. Well, I mean the the reasons. Yeah, I mean it 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 was a very slow process. Yeah, and if you read the New Order book, take your time reading it. You'll you'll get you'll see the timeline of the change in our personalities, right. shall we say? And the thing is, is that we had different hopes for the music, we had different tastes, and we had different hopes for the group in the way that it performed, you know, played where it played, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah, I mean, as you get older, those things get pronounced. It's like any relationship, and I'm sure you've had a few, just like me, mate. Oh yeah. Where you 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 look at someone and you you see a complete stranger. Absolutely, you, know, you don't see Absolutely. the person you fell in love with yeah. when you were eleven. You see somebody you don't even know and maybe don't particularly like, and maybe certainly don't particularly like the way they do things. So it was a very gradual um, thing, a change. I mean, I, I can't say who's right and who's wrong. Obviously, he thinks he's right, and obviously, I think I'm right. You know, and it's like, unless you saw the dog in half, well, then you're never going to reconcile any of it, are you? I mean, the big problem with New Order was that when we split, which was an amicable split between the three of us, me, Bernard, and Steve, Gillian wasn't in the group at that time, we amicably split, and then they, we, we had a few arguments because of Bad Lieutenant, actually. There, there was a lot of toing and froing in the press when he was publicizing Bad Lieutenant and I was doing Freebase. So, you know, there was a lot of talk about bad feeling, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when I started doing the Joy Division, Peter Hook and the Light, them two, supposedly, I don't know because I will never know the truth because I've never spoken to them, were very upset that I was playing Joy Division without their permission. Now, Bernard had already played Joy Division without my permission in Bad Lieutenant. Right. And also played New Order without my permission. He never asked me if he could do it in Bad Lieutenant, but all of a sudden it became a problem because I decided to do it in Peter Hook and the Light. So I was saying, well, you're a contradictory bastard, aren't you? (laughs) You've done it. And what are you slagging me off for doing it for? So the problems, if you like, were exacerbated. Right. And what happened was, was that I did an interview with Paul Morley. Paul Morley, the very famous journalist in England, um, he said to me, are you going to do New Order after Joy Division? And I said, well, yeah, I think I will. I think I will carry on and play the New Order albums because I'm really enjoying it. And he went and told Bernard. And Bernard obviously got very upset, just like he was about Joy Division ignoring the fact that he'd already played New Order in Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant was not a success. Right. So they decided to get New Order back together again, to use the trademark name, because we've done all that work, haven't we? We've done 31 years' work establishing New Order around the world as a very, very successful brand and a consistent brand as well. So the thing is, is that that gem had been, you know, thrown in the dirt, if you like. They decided to get it out. And the only trouble was they decided to get it out without telling me or informing me that they were doing it. And they pulled a little bit of, shall we say, business jiggery-pokery to take control of the company so that I couldn't do anything about it. And then, in their infinite wisdom, they decided how much I should be paid. 
And so it, I own 25% of the trademark, and they decided, because this was public in court, that I should only receive 1.25% going forward. They were taking 99, them three, and I was getting one virtually. And I said, that's not fair. They said it is fair. Between you and me, since you are the first one uh, that I have spoken to about this, I'm completely siding with you. Well, because I, I mean, honestly, to be honest with you, in I, the one thing I know in my heart is, is that even if three of us had got together to do one of them over, I would never have done that to them. No, whoever it was, you know, that's my ethos. Yeah, <laughs> and, if you like, somehow they thought I deserved it. And you know, I understand enough about business and contracts to understand, you know, you know what is a fair deal and what is disrespectful. And it seems to me that you know you you share at least 50% if not more of the writing credits for the band and and certainly are a part of it if if anything it should be split equally but i you know again when you i think when you put egos in, into that and and yes, and everything yes. else then... and um, you know i mean the the thing was is that the law in england is very very difficult to get anywhere and as my mate said to me four fat old blokes arguing about money is not going to be very popular I, uh, <laughs> he said right. four fat old rock stars <laughs> arguing about money is not going to be very popular in court and as much as i hate to say it, it wasn't <laughs> right <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's other things for people to worry about so uh, there was that aspect to it and it ended badly um i suppose you'd have to say we did settle the things but um as to whether you know the supposedly the best settlement is when neither side are happy um but um i think i've got a suspicion that they were probably happier than me i, I know we don't have a lot of time but can you see ever uh, a situation where you know now the lawsuit is settled and i know there's a podcast of you know, coming out about, uh, you know, transmissions, the definitive story of New Order and Joy Division. With all the interest uh, in what is going on between you guys, either legally or personally or professionally, do you see a situation where you and Steve and Bernie could sit down and either talk or play music again, or is it is it too no, far gone? No, I mean, certainly I'd be happy to talk to them at any point. Playing music would would have to depend on how the talk turned about. Um, I've offered to talk to them many times, um, but they've I've not spoken to them for nine years. Um, I, I have to say I've listened to some of the stuff from uh, from Peter Hook and the Light. One of the things I was so happy to hear you guys do, which is a song that I really always liked, was uh, the Drawback. I think that was like one of the songs from Joy oh. Division that was. You know, maybe lost in the yeah, shuffle, that, but I've always that was when we played still, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It, it, it one one of my biggest frustrations uh, in life, as, as we were talking about it before, was losing the Joy Division catalogue. It was a great frustration because Bernard didn't like playing Joy Division; he only wanted to play New Order, which was fair enough. I get it, but it still didn't ease the pain of you losing it. Yeah. And then when we wrote all that wonderful stuff as New Order, he would play very little of the New Order catalogue. And I had all these songs that I loved and I thought were really, really good, and I couldn't play them. And this was part of the impetus to do Peter Hook and the Light and play every single song we've ever written and recorded. And I'm really, really happy because I've discovered that our music and some of the B-sides, because we play those as well, 
and some of the LP tracks that we'd hardly played. A lot of the tracks that we've played as Peter Hook and the Light, New Order never played. Yeah. Never live. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic to be able to do it, and it's been wonderful, and I've loved it. Yeah, and it's I, always the ones I expect to like the least <laughs> that I end up liking the most. It was delightful to be able to finish off Republic because it was something that we never actually did as New Order. It was sort of half finished because we were getting on so badly and having so much trouble with the Hacienda and so much trouble with Factory. Nobody ever bothered to finish the record. So to get the songs up and to be able to finish them and then play them live, most of them have never been played, it was absolutely wonderful. And I found that I loved the record. So in, in a way, for me, it was great because I got it back. You know, every, every time anybody used to, uh, to um, interview us, both Bernard, Stephen and I would say, oh, we hated Republic. It was, oh, it was such an awful time and such a, you know, an awful reason that we had to do it to save Factory and to save the Hacienda. And so the, the LP was completely blanked. And then all of a sudden I get it up, terrified at what was going to happen, but to play it with technique and then find out that in many ways it was as good as technique played live because it got the heart and soul back in it was a wonderful thing and it made me very, very happy. Yeah. And the other thing that I can, off the top of my head, that made me impossibly happy was to be able to play Closer because most of the songs on Closer, Joy Division had never played. That's, so that's to be amazing. Able to play those songs and play that LP was such a wonderful one. Really, as my wife quite rightly keeps telling me, I need to remember these things and not get pissed off with all the legal drudgery and all the bad feeling that's coming now, you know, you, you need to focus on that. And, yeah, I mean, I've stood there and watched grown men cry, playing closer, lovely, bawling, because we're both playing it, me bawling, and it's just like a wonderful, wonderful feeling to be able to chart Republic off the list and then to sit here now at an awful time, awful time for everyone. But to think that once this is over, I'll play Get Ready. And then after that, I'll do Waiting for the Sirens Call. And then after that, I'll do Lost Sirens. And then I'll probably go back and start again. <laughs> well, Peter, you know, you, you have been responsible for one of the most brilliant catalogs of music that I think anyone can even imagine. And so I appreciate Very you taking... Very kind of you. Thank I, you. I appreciate the, uh, the time today. And I know you... It's all right. I know friend. you get back. And, but, but thank you so much. And, uh, and, and best luck. of luck. You Good too. luck over there. I know you're having just as many problems as we are, aren't you? We, we may even have more. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> now, sometimes you look out the window and think that would be impossible. <laughs> but sadly, in this world, I think 2020 has shown us that anything's possible, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely true. Peter, thank you so much. You're welcome, my friend. You take care of yourself. You too. Peter Hook and the Light are already starting to book a tour for the spring of 2021. Hopefully, you'll come to the States. You can see what they're uh, going to do live. Check out Baxi's Fun Bag Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. You can also email me at Bax at Rock102.com. Thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.